Hey everybody, it's Adrian. This is Josh. And if you're listening to this, you rock and roll boys, you're listening to another episode of the, the Dirty, Dirty Rotten Church Kids Podcast. We're talking about gender roles and I'm pissed. <laughs> I told Adrian I was coming in hot. <laughs> Damn it, I am. I'm a man. I'm watching in my kitchen, Dirty Rotten Church Men. <laughs> I pushed the furniture out of the way. My nose is bleeding. Men should do this and women should do that. Yeah. Gender roles. Hi, I was like, what's <laughs> happening? Yeah, I told you. I told you, you know, I that this, this had me heated, <laughs> and I didn't want to give away too much. Well, I appreciate it. And yes. you know, I'm always a big fan of an unannounced, unplanned uh, theme song transition. Plenty of those things. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm very happy that we made it past 10 episodes. We did. This is episode Onsei. That's right. Um... Episode 10 was received really well. It was, went really, really well. The numbers on it are really good. The optics Ooh, are, are looking yeah, good. Got to get those optics. Um, but yeah, it went really well. Jess was great. We're definitely going to have her back. She For was sure. therapist Jess. S- such a natural on the yeah, mic. Yeah, she's awesome. Super, super cool. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, um, guys, it is my birthday eve. Thank you. Thank you. Clapping the mic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much. Wow. Thank you. It's been great. The live taping in front of the live taping. (laughs) And I made an observation, and I mentioned it when I came in, is that when you're 30 years old, as I am today, you can tell people that you're 30. Mm -hmm. But the second you become 31, you're officially in your 30s. And there's a very vast difference, despite there only being a year discrepancy in real life. Yeah, I mean... Can you get any tips for me about going into my 30s? I, I mean, I was told when I turned 33 last year, it was the year of Jesus's death. So, I mean, you could, you could rephrase it. It was a year of Jesus's <laughs> resurrection as well. No, no, nope. but it's a year of his it's death. Jesus's death. So I think <laughs> he actually died on his 33rd birthday. Yeah. He was 34 oh, when he resurrected. Happy birthday to, and he just died. <laughs> and well, how are they sing it in, in uh, yeah. Hebrew? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, 30 is a thing and there's not much you can do till 40. Cause no <laughs> one gives a crap about 35. That's true. No one cares about you. So from now it's just decade birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah, man. Your metabolism starts slowing down. Yep. My back hurts. Start, start coming to the grips with your dad body, me specifically. <laughs> like, this is just who I am. I was pulling Scout in, like, this laundry basket. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, giving her a ride in the laundry basket. And I was pulling her. And I was bent in such a way <laughs> that I essentially threw my back out. <laughs> this was last night. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening to my body as it just slowly deteriorates? You ever say, sneeze and pull your back? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like but, one good sneeze like oh my god I'm, I'm sitting down i'm not even standing up i sneeze i did the vampire sneeze yeah to protect everyone from any disease i might have but i pulled my back <laughs> see i thought that was just like a tweet that no, someone said dude, that's amazing I just, and I, then i uh gathered myself yeah and then i called um the nearest cemetery and ordered my burial plot <laughs> like i'm just because your time I'm, is I'm running to the grave <laughs> i slept i sleep i had to sleep flat on my back uh, I, I, that's I, already that's already I, how you know you're that's, thirty. That's how I know I'm thirty. I'm already. I have to sleep that certain way. Um, I think it's because I'm preparing myself mentally for being in a coffin. And if oh, I sleep so on my good. side, for whatever reason, if I wake up on my side, yeah. I know I've been doing it because my back is killing me the next day. It is a. It, it's it's wow. infuriating. That's really funny. Yeah. So you know the slow the slow drip no, of mortality. But, yeah, thirty one's cool. It's a weird number as well. Yeah, man. Um. I want to talk about this too. Yeah. 
COVID-19, COVID-19, cover your mouth and just cough or sneeze. We practice that a lot. That's really good. How are you feeling about that? Does that get you? I don't know. It's, I mean, I almost said let's not get political, but nothing is off off. Never. Topic or and nothing more political. Oh yeah. Than a virus. Yeah. It's uh, it's really crazy to see America's response to it. Um, because South Korea took like really drastic measures to it and like cut their, um, infectious whatever their numbers down basically. Um, Italy's closed off to the world, which that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just, I was talking to my wife about it. Like, I'm not worried about my family because we're all young and healthy. Um. I am worried about my neighbor. Because if anyone in this neighborhood gets it, she is very old, mm. and that's like it's so. That that's what's to me is, to, and, and also, to me was shocking was uh, this one NBA player, um, thirty hours ago was doing a, a post game conference. It was like coronavirus and like touching the microphones and stuff. Thirty hours later, found out he tested positive oh for it, God. and was doing the sort of the same thing in the locker room and gotten one of his other teammates infected. Oh boy! And so it just it's just not taking it seriously. If you're sick, stay home. Sure. Cover your mouth. You don't have to hoard stuff. Right. Um, if you if you have to quarantine yourself, quarantine yourself. Right. And then just order Uber Eats. <laughs> I mean, if anything, it's use kind of code a win. DRCK <laughs> to get no money off your delivery. <laughs> you can use the code, Ain't nothing uh, but they won't know what that means. Yeah, I feel like you have to find the balance between total just paralyzed yeah. panic. Yeah. Which I err on the side yeah, of yeah. paralyzed mm-hmm. panic, and I'm like, oh no, all oh, the toilet paper is gone. Yeah. As if I'm washing my hands with toilet paper. Yeah. Um. Which this has nothing. The COVID nineteen COVID nineteen yeah. has nothing to do with, with your pooping. <laughs> so just leave the toilet yeah. paper alone. I don't know. It's it's. I mean, South Florida, we, we experience this kind of slight panic when hurricanes come. Yes, yeah, and true. I kind of feel it's the same thing when people are just stocking up on stuff. I mean, whatever. If it makes them feel better, but I will say I feel like being a, a South Floridian who is used to kind of like the chaos. Yeah we aren't quite as susceptible to hype. True. You would think because True. we're used to like, cause I'll like look at the news about a hurricane that's coming and then I'll look outside my window and I'm like, I'm uh, actually okay. I feel like we can be pretty critical about that kind of stuff. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I, I did hear as of, I don't know, however long it was posted, but there is a um, vaccine in Saskatchewan hmm. um, being worked on. So it's being tested now, but they said it could take like six months to yeah, a year. Right. But uh, China apparently has one as well. Um, so we're on the case, guys. We're on it. Yeah, I just wish we personally are on it. Yeah, we're we're, we're working on it. All your listens and your likes and shares uh, go to <laughs> your financially rate and support. <laughs> I can just picture us in a lab just throwing shit together. Um, yeah, I just I wish America's response was quicker. Sure. Uh, because I I I follow the Florida Health Department on Twitter, hmm. which also lets you know how old I am I'm in my thirties. <laughs> uh, your favorite Twitter yeah. account. And the, like, there's there's three cases so far in our area, and they're all for travel reasons. I'm like, dude, if you travel from anywhere, yeah, just lock just up, stay home. Yeah, right. So yeah, that's about it. Great, man. Interesting times. Interesting times. It is yeah, the 2020 has been weird. Yeah, it was really good. Yep. I don't know why was it good. Um, I thought something cool happened. See, I don't no, know. My, I, my don't even, I don't even think it was that. We're correct. alive. <laughs> we we have been alive yeah. to date. And but yeah, so now just hindsight are, is twenty twenty. You can use that that joke for a full year. <laughs> for hit the laugh track on Dad that. Dad joke. <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> thank oh, you, thank you guys, thank you. No, thank you, thank you so much. Anyway, man, speaking of this sort of weird end timesy thing, you know, mm-hmm. we're here in the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast, and we have some some good conversations ahead of us. Yes. Um, I asked the bad apples a few weeks back 
to send us some questions. And so we are going to talk through a question at the top of the episode as we have done the past couple episodes. And we are going to do it by introducing our new segment, which I like to call Bad Apples, Good Questions. together it's bad bad apples good good questions so now we have music for it it. it's infinitely better than our ad-lib just singing (laughs) bullshit yes (laughs) (laughs) all right so this question comes from jonathan polifka who's a friend of ours on instagram and his question was how did you break the conditioning of religious convictions jeez how did you break the... Con- so did you actually have a lot of those religious... Con- I mean, I'm sure you did to a degree. Okay, I have to be honest. I think I know the people who give us these questions have thought way more about stuff than I have. <laughs> I'm like that... The question we got last week and this one, I'm like, I don't... I don't know. How do you form that question? Right. Well, it's a great question. Um, so I'm starting to realize I'm not an analyzer, which you are. <laughs> I can't form good questions. I just react. So let's but, unpack it. Yeah. So... so so, so he's saying, so if you were brought up with these sort of mm-hmm. convictions about a bunch of things, let's say, for example, sex before marriage, yeah. let's talk about um, drinking in general, we can talk about cursing, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, or being in church physically, right? Mm-hmm. When those things started to fall away naturally because of your deconstruction, yeah. did you still have any inkling of that sort of Christian guilt or that Christian whatever? And if so, how did you kind of deal with it? I think that can be wrapped up in the loyal soldier that we keep referencing, from uh, Bitten by Camel by Kent Dobson, which I actually finished. Nice. So that's Kevin Michael Garcia's book and Kent Dobson. I feel Dude, you are 20, on a roll. I'm done reading for 2020. <laughs> it's two books. Um, so for those of you that aren't familiar with that, it's he says the loyal soldier is kind of that that conscience that you have that once you leave a religious tradition, it kind of always calls you back to it. So I think the, what, what the question was addressing is like, how, how do you address that? How do you address that continuous pull back to what you were doing? And for me, I think the biggest thing, well, the first thing, so the first domino to fall was that church attendance. And for me, that was easy because um, I had to get out. And so, I mean, for like my mental health and my family's stability and like having time on Sunday, I had to be okay with not being there. So that one was like, well, I just got to take a break. And that taking a break then rolled over into, wow, I think I'm being more air quotes fed mm. by not being at a church on Sunday or going to church when we want to. Um, and then I, and then that kind of helped me see, well, maybe everything I was holding on to wasn't as good as I thought. Um, and so that then I'm trying to think what was the next thing? To kind of fall. I mean, do you have anything? Well, I was going to say, I think for me, I was maybe fortunate in that my theology kind of let me trickle out of a convicted mindset mm-hmm. gradually. So um, I came from very like a charismatic non-denominational and yeah. they were incredibly mm-hmm. uh, conservative. <clears throat> and there was a lot of evangelical guilt there. So, right. So you can't drink at all. Can't smoke at all can't get tattoos at gotcha, all yeah. like you know the music you listen to is is important the movies you watch are important mm-hmm. let alone things like having sex and going to church and then 
one of the things that drew me to the Calvinist movement, like this neo-reformed movement, was this idea of like grace that covers everything and that because of Jesus, we don't have to be legalistic. And I bought into that hook, line, and sinker. And I think what was interesting about it was it was saying like tattoos aren't a problem. Mm -hmm. Drinking's not a problem as long as you're obeying the legal authority. Yeah. Smoking isn't a problem as long as you're legal to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of the theology I had gave me some permission to shut off some of that stuff to go, hey, because of Jesus, Jesus is the new covenant, so to speak. And so now I don't have to worry about all the old laws that say don't do this, that, and the other thing. Okay. And so my theology actually helped me in a way to get to step out of that. And so for that, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, but I think the next piece, there were things that were more close-handed issues in Calvinism. And those were things like, even though they were implicit, mm-hmm. they were things like don't have sex before marriage. There were things like be physically in church, be connected to the body, right? Um, little things like that, that when I left church... Um, it felt weird. Yeah. It felt, it just felt weird. I was like, I'm not anywhere on Sunday morning. This feels weird. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, it's like a party. You're like, woohoo. Yeah. But after a while, you start to feel like, should I be going? Yeah. I felt <laughs> like I was off balance. And then I realized after I spent enough time outside of the church or enough time or just getting more tattoos or I don't know, whatever, questioning or not even thinking about the Trinity. The more time I spent doing the opposite of that, the more I realized, oh, maybe those things really weren't that important. Yeah. Um, and then I, along with the kind of beginning of just things starting to get chipped away is when we started, I started reading Richard Rohr. You started sending me podcasts by Rob Bell. And that whole thing was just like, okay, then like, there, like some of this stuff is just really not important because it was created by people who, weren't even in the Bible, yeah. nothing to do with Jesus, and doing enough reading or looking back on how some of those rules are implemented, I started to be able to see how I mean, with people people with bad intentions could use those things to keep you in line. Mm. Um, and so then, I'm, then you start looking at everything I was told. Um, kind of not second-guessing everything, but taking a critical look at things. And I think that's a really good... Um, distinguish distinguishing line or or a way to distinguish how i felt because some people might go oh you're just kind of throwing everything out there because you want to do what you want to do right i want to do what i want to do i would just sleep and eat till i die (laughs) but what i'm doing is critically looking at things because i want to understand them um so i think yeah if anyone throws shade your way because oh you're just you're just uh, going against the grain because you 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 want to be the shit like no no i just want to understand things i think that's one of the knee-jerk reactions is like the church gives you this bunch of rules and these things to do and not to do. And if you ask anything, like, why are you questioning us? It's from God. I'm like, well, actually, it's not from God. That actually started like 100 years ago yes. and um, whatever. So I don't it's, know. It's interesting you say that because I was thinking about, when I was thinking of this question um, this week, Wilder was, we were at the in-laws house and Wilder saw this room that was full of toys, but the lights were off. Mm-hmm. And he was standing there. He's like, it's really scary over there. I'm like, why? There's a dinosaur. He just decided there was a dinosaur yeah. in the back corner of the room. So what we did was we turned on the lights and we walked all the way to the corner mm-hmm. and we had to, and I was like, show me where the dinosaur is. And then when you when you look exactly where it is, you realize there's no dinosaur there. And by in focusing your 
by, by uh, pointing your focus directly at the spot you're afraid of, it helps you kind of peel it away. Yeah. And I think that's part of it is to go, what is the thing underneath the thing? Being as as Danny Brun just said, as Jess Murray says, like let's be curious about what it mm-hmm. is that's making me feel the way that I'm feeling. And I think a lot of it is comes down to a inerrant literal reading of scripture. Um, I think like I just randomly thought of like in the the Genesis account in the Garden of Eden, they were naked, and God's like, "Who told you you were naked?" And I think, <clears throat> "Who told you you were naked?" Excuse me. And I think in a similar way, we have to be like. Who told you this was wrong? Yeah. Who told you you can't do this? Mm-hmm. Who told you you can't do that? Who told you that God doesn't like it when this happens? Yeah. And if you follow the rabbit trail or the trail of breadcrumbs, you'll probably either find that there is a Bible reference that was taken out of context yeah. or hyper-literalized, or there's no Bible reference, and instead it was just some really charismatic preacher or author that said Or even more, so it was done because... Um, like back in the day, certain rules need to be made. Yes. Like, uh, I don't know if Jess said it or we, we brought it up. Um, uh, yeah, I think I read it in preparation for that episode. But uh, this one psychologist put, put the theory out there that anxiety was actually good for back in the day when we were cavemen is because maybe you need to isolate yourself and, and like your body kind of breaks down and say, says you need to isolate yourself for whatever reason. So in the same way, that's was kind of beneficial at a time. Mm. Like certain rules that we were told were good. I mean, tattoos back in the day, even back in our parents' day, was a sign of prison life. Sure. And so, of course, you don't want your kids to look like prisoners. And they're not. They're your children. Sure. Um, there was discrimination that came with it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, to answer your question, <laughs> which uh, was, this is a long answer to your question. Um, I think a lot of it was necessity for me i had to leave the church i had to step down and take time for myself and what you said kind of triggered it for me as well the realizing the bible isn't wasn't meant to be literal is meant to be literal yeah and then being told that i am who i am is enough and who i am is right and the way i'm made is right yeah and then when you realize oh shit i don't have to really work on myself to gain anyone's favor. I mean, if I, if I want to be better, that's on me. And the Bible isn't a literal basic instruction before leaving earth thing. It's prescriptive, not descriptive, like you said. And man, church can be had anywhere. Right. Um, I feel, and most recently I feel church has been happening a lot more in our DMs on Instagram yeah. than anywhere else. Because the conversations we get into, I... Like I said before, the people who connect with us are way smarter than I am. And the conversations and stories that they share and the journeys they share, I'm like, oh, man, I would have never seen that glimpse of humanity or been able to hear from someone who has fought for something so long just to be their true self and is now on the other side of that or in the middle of it or just kind of questioning it. Like, man, this is great. So I don't have to be at church on Sunday. Like people are coming to us. We are, we are connecting with people, and to me, that's what I miss most about the church is that community. We can't be there physically, but you and I are always on Instagram because we don't have much <laughs> don't else have that we do. Yeah. yeah, and I think, yeah, it's, it's knowing that you're not alone in your conviction. You're not the only person who's mm-hmm. feeling that way. You're not the only person who is probably asking that that's question. That's a big part of it. And so that allows you to feel like, I, I think the 
kind of religious fundamentalist ethos is like it is a personal relationship between you and Jesus. And the downside of that mentality says that any problem I have, any doubt I have or guilt that I have is really just between me and God. Yeah. And it's my problem to deal with. And so when you Mm. go against that grain, you're like, shit, I'm the one who's having this problem. When in reality, everyone's having this problem. That's really crazy you say that. that I'm the one who's having that issue. It's because the church touts itself as being a community but then you sit under some sermon and you feel personally convicted and you walk out saying oh shit i need to do this like that's you f- that makes me feel siloed like yes. very much like my, by myself that's right when There's we have control. groups called community groups right. or city groups right. or any other catchy wor- small group uh, thing pithy, yeah. um it's very much yeah that's how i've come up away feeling it's like well shit i feel horrible now thanks right um yeah that's really interesting yeah it's a really good question that was a Gee, great question yeah thank you so much for that question let's see who it was this hope was... you like the answer jonathan is his name <laughs> yeah jonathan thanks so much for that question we just lost one subscriber because it took us about 30 <laughs> minutes to answer this question she's like my question was two lines and your answer I'm was two hours than these two idiots <laughs> yes you are <laughs> Well, I think that segues really well because we're talking about things that we were conditioned to believe. Yeah. And what we wanted to unpack as much as we can is the notion of how gender roles within the confines of marriage, but also in general. In church, too. In church in yeah. general, how those were handed to us yeah. by the church. And just a trigger warning, um, we're going to be playing some audio clips yeah. that mention uh, rape and like submissive wives and just some really shitty stuff. Not like, I'm like we're not, not like, doing it intentionally to no, be egregious. Sound like a serial podcast. Sure, from Sarah Koenig doing right. some weird murder right. investigation. But it's cringy and also upsetting. Yeah, we'll give another trigger warning later, right before. We yeah, play for it. sure. Um, I also want to add another disclaimer because I think this is going to dovetail a lot into our purity culture conversation mm-hmm. because there's a lot of themes that are mirrored. Yeah, and I want to say again that just like in the purity culture conversation, like this is kind of just me and you, Josh, just kind of riffing on a topic. Yeah, we come from we are two cis hetero males mm-hmm. who have an incredibly limited perspective, so we yeah. can talk at length about how we were conditioned within the Christian male gender construct, but we are pretty much going off of hearsay as far as how we have understood and, and just seeing how other people have been affected by it Correct. as well. Women, people who are non-binary, all mm-hmm. those things. Um, so yeah. So what we also did again, is we reached out to some people, we reached out to some of the bad apples on social media and asked them to just send some of their stories. So we're going to include um, as many stories as we can fit um, so that you guys can hear some perspectives that are not just two men's perspectives, yeah, of course. because obviously this is a really nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and just like purity culture, when we were kind of thrown it somehow by people in the universe, this is very much the same thing because I knew the word gender and I knew the word roles, <laughs> but I really didn't really grasp the the weight of those two words together. And then just in um, having to listen to podcasts and watch videos and read papers, like it's been taxing. Because uh, like you and I keep going back and forth and I, I text you like, dude, this is going to be a great episode because I'm just going to be so pissed. <laughs> I'm very calm now. I got it out I'm, with the I'm intro. impressed with you, yeah. But um, <laughs> like uh, like this other podcast I was listening to, Spike Theology, they said uh, they needed to take mental health time 
It's just you can only lo- look, listen, or read so many Mark Driscoll things. Or yeah. specifically, Adrian can text me only so many Mark <laughs> Driscoll things. Like, dude, I got to take a fucking break. <laughs> That's another trigger warning. You're going to hear Mark Driscoll mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I feel like what – because we could have done this conversation any time, but I wanted to do that while, while it was fresh in our mind because yeah. we had a very recent interaction with a biblical gender construct on social media. And so do you want oh, to tell yeah. the story or do you want me to tell the story about how we interacted with that or how we came the across The biblical it? gender roles <laughs> yeah. thing? How about you start it and sure. I'll, I'll sprinkle in with my, my perspective on it. Sure. So um, we are friends on Instagram. There's a an account by uh, a person named Blair and she runs a social media handle called Talk Purity to Me. And really what she does is she kind of points specifically to some of these weird and toxic purity culture mm-hmm handles and posts and articles it's really incredible because i'm like holy shit you d- you wouldn't even think people think this way or say it can be things. so bold to post it yeah they're like really proud I'm like you got a lot of balls to yeah. say what you just said yeah and so she posted something and i just kind of stumbled across it and it was from an instagram handle called biblical gender roles mm-hmm. it's called biblical gender roles which first of all i'm like it's definitely a white man anyway fun at parties <clears throat> super fun at parties non-alcoholic beer <laughs> right and so he posted this one uh, comment, uh, this one post, and the post said, being a biblical wife, I'm paraphrasing, being a biblical wife means you never use the I don't feel comfortable with that card. And he used it in the context of like women, if you consider yourself a biblical submissive wife, then if your husband wants you to do something in the bedroom or wear something mm-hmm. or dress up in a certain way or behave in a certain way, you should not say you don't feel comfortable with that and i read that and at the bottom of the of this post there was a comment a lot of comments of people agreeing thank you so much great i I can't wait i want to be a submissive Mm -hmm. wife and then at the very bottom there was one person that commented hey i'm trying to be a submissive wife and when i speak back or behave badly my husband slaps me across the face and when i when he slaps me across the face i flinch and he, do, and he told me that he doesn't want me to flinch and I want to be a good wife. How do you suggest I handle this? And when I, once I saw that, it went from being like, oh, this is just a fucking Looney Tune mm-hmm. to being like this person. It's an actual thing going it, on. This is an actual thing happening. And this person is enabling abuse, right? By even if it's implicit, they were posting a mindset that if carried out to its full conclusion is going to enable abuse, yeah. right? And I became viscerally upset. And maybe you can pick up. <laughs> so I get a text message from Adrian, um, which happens. And it's a picture of that account. And then at the same time I get that, I'm then getting notifications from Instagram that people are responding to a story. I'm like, oh, okay, what did Adrian post now? <laughs> and you basically posted that guy. You, you screenshotted that, uh, story, uh, that post and you posted it on our story. And you said report them or something like that or, just, yeah, or go like read that. it or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started reading and like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. Cause I know who I am is that I'll get mad at that person and I'll try to send him a fish email <laughs> so I can get his login information <laughs> and then sign into it and delete his whole account right. or I'll take it out on something else. Right. Which is just usually my body by staying up way too late. Um, but the responses we were getting we're like nonstop to the Instagram story. And then I started going through the rest of his feed. I'm like, I, 
And I think this is more a um, thing on me is that I've, I don't know anyone like that. Maybe I, my circle's too small, but I don't think I would let anyone in my circle who thought like that. So to me, I'm like, Oh oh my, Oh my God. The the one, uh, another post, I don't know if it was that same guy, but it was basically saying that the problem within church these days is the wives of pastors and with all their flirting and their gossip, da, da, da. And like this, I was exposed to this whole side of Instagram, which just women shaming. And then what was even crazier is when women were posting it. Right. And they're like, we must be submissive to our husbands and he should have a meal ready. Our husband doesn't gripe when he goes to work. So we shouldn't gripe when he asks us to do anything. Yeah. Like how has, what machine has pushed these ladies down so far that they're the ones dishing out yeah. the submissive wife trope. And yeah. I was just like, oh my God, I can't sleep. It was crazy. It was infuriating. It was nuts. And people were applying and they were like, and, and rightfully so, they were like, this is really fucked. Yes. And the one of my proudest moments is that I feel that to a degree, I don't know if it was entirely us, but it was probably a combination we'll of was. us. We'll say it was. <laughs> we'll say it was all us. But shortly after us posting that story, the page got reported and like commented so much that they went entirely private. Yeah. And... Um, while that doesn't seem like a big deal, it's a big deal to us because it hides all their hashtags, it hides all their content. And so now hopefully it just became sort of like this inbred cesspool to keep your, your sick toxicity to yourself. And then, um, Blair reached out to us. And when, when she saw that it was, it went private and she's like, actually he created this person created multiple other handles now, except now he's like hypercritical about who Who you let's in. in. Did you read any of the, uh, the protocol? No, because if I do, I'll try to get in. <laughs> just should, to fuck with them. You should, try, dude, to no, you should I, try to get in. I'm a better person now. Mr. <laughs> Manly Wiener. Man, man, L-E, Wiener. And um, so he had some things where it's like you have to share a post and then write some sort of statement of faith. It's like as if he's getting into some sort of club. Anyway, he, he listed as his social media ministry. Okay. That's what he calls it. Go get fucked, dude. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's 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 someone who's really old. Like, I'll uh, I'll reach the the children. And yeah, this is my ministry, my social media ministry. Here comes crazy old grandpa or drunk yeah. uncle spouting his submissive wife shit. Yeah, it's it was so infuriating. But to me, um, that was like a really quick tear of the curtain to see this whole other world that didn't even know existed. Which I kind of understood the underlying themes of that because I've seen them in church or I've heard about them in jokes about wives to stay in the kitchen. Right. And I know the struggle women have had. I mean, the women's suffrage movement, um, even like the 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 amount of pay women get for the same job they do as men. Um, There's this one tweet that said it was really good. Um, that, that put it really well. It's like a women and, and men uh, only get paid differently because they have different jobs. Men have CEO jobs and, and business analysts and uh, managers. And women have uh, female CEO and female <laughs> business analysts and female managers and yeah, like shit. It's true. Um, so I've, I always kind of knew about that thing, but then to kind of take steps backwards and see that it's under this big umbre- umbrella of gender roles yeah. and then kind of look and see which 
gender roles kind of have been pushed on me and which gender roles I have helped push on others unknowingly. Um, And then I'm like, man, this is a whole other thing that I didn't know existed that I'm glad I'm aware of now so I can be more prescient of it and more cognizant of decisions I make and the way I talk to others. Um, but yeah, and then then you and I just kept finding just more and more shit. Yeah. Going back to the backlog of Mark Driscoll or a weird YouTube video, which we'll play some of those clips today. It was, it's shocking to me that a religion who claims to follow a God man who had every opportunity continued to say that he was there for everyone. He was there for the lowest of the low. Um, and he sat with tax collectors. He sat with the lady at the well. Um, he healed lepers. Like he was in with people who were not people you wanted to be in with. Sure. A religion that follows that man could produce this just toxic, like venomous, vile, disgusting outlook yeah. on a creature of God. If you if you mm. take away the the title of woman or girl or lady or man or boy, and you, you see us as just brothers and sisters or children of whatever you want to call it, or just at, at the baseline, we're just all human. We're all the same. How can you say that you worship this dude and treat people that he loves so much so poorly? And uh, that's just when you go back and say, well, it's kind of built on this and that and da da da, da. But yeah, yeah, we'll get into that some of that. And I think that's a good chance for us to kind of dial into it. I think if we're looking at the where the construct of, mm-hmm. of Christian gender and marriage came from, it would be good for us to like rewind the tape yeah, all the way to uh, as much as we can the way we were taught how a boy acts mm-hmm. as a girl acts. Yeah. Um, do you remember some of the ways that, that, that you were Dude, uh, it, the, you the memories back? were flowing in. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So Tell me. I'll speak for both of us. Um, at the previous church we were at, Adrian and I, we can dabble in sports, but it's not our thing. Um, we're, art, we're artistic. We do music. Adrian's really, really good with words, and he, he's written poems, and he was he worked for NBR, like an actual company. So we're more on the artsy side. And because of that, we were not really let in certain groups. And because of that, when we did certain things at the church, people wouldn't attend because we didn't get with sports or we didn't have enough basketball shorts or we couldn't jump <laughs> a certain height or we didn't know the stats of some stupid fucking player from the 60s who played on some team and graduated from some college. <laughs> See, I'm getting heated up. Yeah, now. you get it. So... Yeah, so you and I kind of had both of that. It's like we're artsy, so you're automatically put in a group. Good for you. Good job on your music, but we're all going to go watch this basketball game. Right. Um, but some of the things that I was kind of thinking back on is there's – it's a pretty funny story, but we went to uh, – my family when I was younger and still does regularly attend uh, Walt Disney as much as we can. Walt Disney World. Not Walt Disney himself. He's dead. <laughs> you attend him. He's frozen. Uh <laughs> We went to uh, Hollywood Studios. It was called MGM back then, and they just had Tower of Terror. And um, it's funny because it's it's a funny story, but to me, it, I, I see how much it molded me. Was that I did not want to go on the ride. I was crying, and like it, it's terrifying. I forgot how old I was, but I wasn't in my teens, maybe even nine or ten. And I was crying, as crying, as crying, as crying, and I was told just to suck it up and get on the ride. Um, I don't know if I enjoyed it. <laughs> Well, the fact that I don't remember it should say enough. I remember the experience before getting on. But I was told just to suck it up. That A lot of that um, that was kind of reiterated to me by people around me. 
I mean, not necessarily my parents, but definitely at my school and definitely at the, at some of the guys that I started to hang around with. And because they were like that, I kind of didn't hang out with them. Um, but a lot of that pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Um, you're a leader, just act like it. Mm. A lot of just do yeah, and not take time to think and feel. Um, how about your sister? How was she taught differently than you? What's funny is that my sister and I both fit into the opposed, the opposite gender roles. Sure. Because she is much more aggressive than me by the fact that she'd beat the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> We'd get in fights because we were so bored. We had nothing to do at the house. And uh, some of those fights were pretty epic. Uh, one fight, she <laughs> grabbed my mom's can of perfume and sprayed me in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like held you down and did it or just in, in I don't know but it stung it was like a wrestling match that's incredible um, yeah she's we, scrappy yeah You're she's cool. very scrappy uh, she is very independent she's very good with money she saves um, she's athletic uh, she's very disciplined um, and at an early age she was kind of put into that same girls like pink mm. girls play with dolls and did she kind of fit it, squeeze into that role? I wish I could ask her these questions, but did she kind of go along? From or was what she kind I of see, like, no. she did as yeah, sure. much as she could. Sure. And I think that's all, to quote Emily Prada, again, we were just doing the best we could. That's right. Um, so I think I did as much as I could until I got into band and started playing the French horn. Nice. Because I played the trumpet for two years, but once you play the French horn, that's it. you realize your son ain't a linebacker. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a lot of just that, just the stereotypes of... Yeah. You got to like sports. You have to be a manly man or whatever that means. I think that was the big issue. There's no definition of that. It's whoever's telling you at that time what it is. A lot of uh, men retreats. Yeah. Which Of which we are guilty of putting on man events oh, and cooking steaks and so watching sports. Dumb. I ate a shit ton of chicken wings. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a lot of that. I mean, it's nothing yeah. spectacular, no traumatizing experience besides a – Tower of Terror one that stands sure. out. Anything, about, anything for you that kind of came back as you were yeah. going through this stuff? Yeah, so I was thinking about how I was brought up, and I was, my dad had picked me up, and I was giving him a hug, and I was, I don't know how old I was. I imagine mm-hmm. in between three and five, and I had, pro- I feel like earlier in the day, I had given my mom a kiss on the lips, mm-hmm. and that's just the way I would kiss my mom. And then I picked up, my dad, and this was my stepdad, okay. not my dad. Yeah. And I think it was one of the first moments where I was just like really affectionate with him. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a kiss on the cheek and then I gave him a kiss on the lips. And he became immediately upset. Mm. And he like almost like pulled me away. It was like, no, 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 we don't do that. Men no kiss on the lips. And <clears throat> I remember learning very quickly, as quickly as I could process, like what did I do? Yeah. Something, something happened. And I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint what was wrong. I just knew that my dad was happy Mm -hmm. and now my dad was upset. And I think, um, that's part of when you're growing up as a boy, it's like, there is a very, a sharp, and I'm I'm sure it's for girls too. I'm just only speaking from my experience. There is a very sharp, we don't do that here. Yeah. Cut it out. Stop. Stop. Mm -hmm. Cowboy up. I, um, I, I, uh, was thinking about Wilder found, a pair of a headband with Minnie Mouse ears on them. Mm-hmm. And he was super excited because he loves Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. and he loves Disney. Uh, and he loves Minnie too. And he put on the Minnie Mouse ears, but he thought he was Mickey. He's like, I'm Mickey. Mm-hmm. Or he would just put on the ears. And my father-in-law, who he's old, he's the old guard, right? He was brought up the way he was brought up. And I love him a lot. But he was like, hey, we should 
let's just flip them around. Yeah. Let's flip it around so the bow is in the back. Mm-hmm. And it was that little moment of going, okay, this is deep, dude. This is like deep ingrained in us. Like, you can't do this. Um, I think about my sister who she is not like, like Crystal's not a girly person. Mm-hmm. And Crystal was brought up to be constantly wearing pink dresses and constantly uh, my mother would like spray like like this have you heard of sun in is this a 90s thing it's like some spray that makes your hair that lighter? makes your hair lighter supposedly it's in the sunlight but i'm pretty yeah. sure it's just bleach i don't know what, <laughs> it's like no it's no it's the sun it's the sun i promise it I'm smells like, a lot like <laughs> i smell like the bathroom I smell I, like my shirts <laughs> <laughs> anyway but it's, it's this stuff that's yeah. projected i um listened to a podcast and i'd like to mention it because i think it's interesting it was the Liturgist podcast, and we'll drop a link in the show notes. And Hillary McBride quoted a author who wrote a book called The Birth of Pleasure. Okay. And this person, she was doing research, and in the research she found, at the age of 14, girls develop a quieting of their own voice. Yeah. And whereas a girl would normally be very outspoken about her preference, about this is wrong, this isn't right, at around 14, she starts to add disclaimers to the end of it. This is wrong, right? What do you think? I don't. This isn't wrong. Am I right about that? This isn't wrong, but that's just me. And it was so interesting that around fourteen, around puberty, or rather, in in girls, they start to learn these social cues of going right around the time as their body is developing. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence. You also need to start quieting your voice, start quieting your intuition, and quieting your gut. And as as frustrating and upsetting as that is, the second part of the book was equally interesting and she said that quieting of the voice starts for boys at the age of five like we are taught at the age five like cut it out mm-hmm. boys don't kiss boys yeah boys wear blue you like trucks mm-hmm. right you don't like dolls you like trucks and so i think if we're gonna unpack where this comes from right it's it's coming it's not coming from the church necess- in, a, in a vacuum yes right it is secondhand to the church mm-hmm. from some sort of weird patriarchal system that yeah. says boys have penises and girls mm-hmm. have vaginas, right? Yeah. Um, in, in that same liturgist podcast, um, I don't know the guys. No, sorry, the Richard Rohr podcast. Um, was it that one? Yeah, on, on the one on parenting. Um, and uh, there's Richard Rohr and there's two other people that work with him um, at the Center for Contemplation, I think it's called, um, or Center for Action and Contemplation. Like yeah. That. Um, he was saying that as a kid, he liked to wear um, high-heeled shoes because he liked the sound they made. And so his parents didn't let him wear them. But at his grandparents' house, his grandparents would keep a pair of high-heeled shoes, of the grandma's shoes, for him. And he said he would just run around the house, clip, clap, clip, because he liked the sound of it. And he said at that age, you don't sexualize shoes. Right. You don't. They're shoes. And so my son, uh, we have a lot of dress-up stuff, um, Halloween stuff that the kids wore for like an hour, and they take it off, and they wear it more outside of Halloween than they do <laughs> now. And so we'll be eating dinner, and my wife will tell the kids, go put on a show for us. So they'll go get a bunch of stuff. And my son puts on, like, my daughter's, like, princess clip-clop shoes with his, like, um, stormtrooper outfit and, like, fairy wings and a crown, and my daughter has whatever. And at the beginning, I'm like, Noah, we don't wear that. And take that off or da da da. And then I'm like, who cares, dude? Yeah. It's cute. He thinks it's funny. He's having fun. He doesn't assign those things to, oh, this should be for girls. This should be for boys. 
And when I heard that stat from that liturgist podcast about silencing your voice at five, I'm like, yes, I feel that deeply because I was so early into being me. I already had people putting things on top of me that they think I should be doing or I should be pursuing or how I should be acting. And much like the church does with a lot of other things, uh, this patriarchy thing, like you said, is passed down from um, society or culture and kind of put into the church. And the church does something really well. They take things that the culture does and do do it really shitty. (laughs) Um, I can list out like 17 (laughs) bands right now that are a perfect example of that. Yeah, wow. You're right. Um, You're totally right about that. And so the church then takes it in digest it, spit something out that's completely Poops asinine. Yeah. And then the culture moves on. The church is still doing the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's where culture is now where we're able to have these conversations and we're more comfortable with these quote unquote feminine or masculine aspects of ourselves. Um, when we real, we're realizing that we are just who we are and we like the things we like and that's completely fine. As long as you're not fucking killing someone or, or hurting yeah. someone by doing it but the church is still carrying on this dumb ass backwards, super old way of thinking where you have to do this. And it, and it, it scratches that same itch that the, the Bible being literate does or literal. literal. Um, you can be literate. Yeah. Same difference. <laughs> I think I, I made the same mistake mistake in another podcast. Cool, so man. I'm, I'm neither of those things. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it follows the same agenda as the majority of things in the church do, that they are descriptive. You have to do this thing. You have to be on church Sunday, mm. and men need to serve in the church because if we get the man, we'll get the family. Yeah, and the woman, the woman has to serve in children's ministry, <laughs> and all the kids need to be there. Yeah. And doubly, if you're a pastor's wife, you got to be there serving all the time. Yeah. And you have to hang out with the other pastor's wives, and you have to fit in their mold of what a pastor's wife looks like. And the society society's like, okay, um, like LGBTQ plus, that's super cool. Um, you can kind of be who you are, do church is like, no, you gotta do this. Like, right. Can we talk on, about that? Man. I wanna talk about that weird cause we I was we were taught the same thing at the same time, of course. Is we were always told if you get the man, you mm-hmm. get the family. Mm-hmm. And so and I imagine it was a, a swing of the pendulum in the opposite direction of what the church perceived to be a feminization yeah. of the church. God forbid, right? Like how dare us be like a woman, which is yeah. obscene in its own right. But um, I feel like in the in a, an attempt to swing the pendulum the other way, they said, what we now need to do is we need to reach the men. Mm-hmm. We need to do outreach for men. We need to do um, small groups for men. We need to be cognizant about the events we throw for men at our church to get men in the door because so, there's some statistic that everyone always fucking quoted, which yeah. you can never tell what the statistics are, that if you reach the men, then they'll bring their whole family with them. And I feel like that is a fundamentally flawed mindset. And, and going back to what you're saying, I don't ever remember a time that the church was not being called feminine. So I don't know if there's huh. a time that in my lifetime that the church was ever masculine because I, yeah. I, I grew up in 86 don't have many memories of those first couple of years but i was in the church as long as i can remember and there was always kind of a thing it's church is too feminine there was always a need to provide 
for the men, which is great because men don't have any outlet for anything. And they don't have really any power or leeway in society at all. There's no <laughs> activities for men. The world is men. really tough for men. It's really yeah. hard to be a man. And, and when you said that, I'm like, I don't know if there was ever a time when people weren't just slamming their hands on tables saying the church needs to be more masculine. It's this call back to this reality that I don't think ever existed. Because... Hmm. So I watch wrestling, and I watch it on Hulu, and Hulu loves playing the same three commercials every time. So there's this one commercial for this shit that uh, is making more manly, and it cuts to like a dude crawling through trenches, and then the the over voice the voiceover is like, "There was a time in America when a man was a man." Oh, it's okay. like all the stereotypical just video shoots, and yeah, and this is proven to give you more testosterone. And now I'm thinking this is like Alex Jones' new thing because it's exactly <laughs> up his alley. But it's this whole marketing thing about how men aren't men anymore mm-hmm. and men used to be better. I, I don't know when. Um, and that's when blacks I, couldn't vote. That's another Yeah. <laughs> when we had when we were eating were potatoes. Yeah, yeah, we had nothing in the Great Depression. Um, and it's just, I'm like, the church isn't the only people doing that. There, there's some sect of society who thinks at one point, men were men. Like, what the? Yeah. What are you? What are you fucking talking about? I haven't done nearly enough research into the patriarchy. I wish I had realized how much it dovetails, but because I would have done more research yeah. on that. Because I am curious to know. Because obviously there is incredible misogyny and incredible patriarchy within the religious systems. Yeah. But when it became like American evangelicalism, other than the fact that it was like men leading, maybe that's probably most of it. It was like mm-hmm. men were the ones who were leading all the songs and men were the ones that were writing all the songs and men were the ones that were preaching all the sermons. It was when the men started to wear tight jeans (laughs) and V-neck shirts. And when, I think when the language started to become more emotive, they suddenly said, that's the thing. The songs became emotive. It it wouldn't surprise me if it was around the time of the Jesus movement, like the hippie Mm -hmm. Jesus movement Mm -hmm. where everything was love, right? And then Jesus and God is love and Jesus was love. And I think they tried to take it back to wrestle it away from the hippies to be like, Jesus isn't just love. Jesus is blood. Yeah. You know, and I I feel like that's probably part of it. Yeah. Um, But, but also with the Hillsong, like you and I, know that time period really well hillsong united and all those worship songs yeah. came out and that was when like the mark driscoll's and um the matt chandler's and other people from the passion stuff john piper all the reform guys yeah, yeah. started saying we need to be more manly it's really funny um that uh hillsong united people didn't stand up before every song and go hey we wrote this song because we're no longer men and they just started singing <laughs> no they they wrote and sang songs that they felt mattered to them and so uh no one was was asking a response from like the need to be masculine people but the knee-jerk reaction is kind of like what your dad did and kind of what we were told like no just don't do it you're not a man like no one's asking for a response i'm just expressing no you can't express yourself (laughs) like well i have a guitar here we actually have speaking of mark driscoll and speaking of the opinions so i found a video i think it's like a minute and some change yeah so somebody made this video and i thought it was satire because they put music underneath it and they put they interspersed this interview with pictures of like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> well, the song is actually I don't know who it's by, but it's a song where Hulk Hogan is rapping in. 
It's, it's, uh, it's Maybe like, it is trolling. Maybe it's, it's satire. I don't well, know. It seems pretty well, no, serious. No, no, the Mark Driscoll video is for real. Okay. Um, so maybe the music underneath it is, is oh, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, it's, it's there to be definitely okay. tongue-in-cheek. Okay, great. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. So Bad Apples, check us out. This is an interview. And so take it in stride that it, the video was made satirically, but the interview was completely earnest and honest. This okay, is so Mark what, what I'm going to do now before we get into oh, this yeah, yeah. is I'm going to give you guys some time to breathe in. Let's do a guided meditation together or something. Be present. And, yeah, at the just, you're sitting just in. chill. If you're in your car, ah, just breathe in and sigh out. If you're listening to this on your AirPods while you're running around your house chasing your kids, just let your kids go outside naked for two seconds. <laughs> Take a breath because I don't want anyone to be rattled. You by will this, be rattled because it sucks. But here we go. You got around Paul when he was a young guy. You got around John the Baptist or. Elijah. I mean, these dudes seem pretty rough to me. You know, they don't look like church boys, you know, wearing sweater vests and walking around singing love songs to Jesus. I mean, guys like David are well known for their ability to slaughter other men. I've got to think these guys were dudes. Heterosexual, win a fight, punch you in the nose, dudes. And the problem in the church today is just a bunch of nice, soft, tender, chickified church boys. 60% of Christians are chicks, and the 40% that are dudes are still sort of chicks. I mean, it's, it's just sad. You know, when you walk in, it's seafoam green and fuchsia and lemon yellow, and the whole architecture and the whole aesthetic is real feminine. The preacher's kind of feminine, and the music's kind of emotional and feminine, and we're looking around going, how come we're not innovative? Because all the innovative dudes are home watching football or they're out making money, or climbing a mountain, or shooting a gun, or working on their truck. They're gonna get married, make money, make babies, build companies, buy real estate. They're gonna make the culture of the future. If you get the young men, you win the war. You get everything, you get the families, the women, the children, the money, the business, you get everything. Okay. So I need to climb a mountain. <laughs> While shooting a gun, <laughs> at the same time, I'm making babies the entire trek up the mountain. Oh, my God. This is classic red-blooded American. This is Don Draper, steak and a milk. Mm-hmm. This is steak and a milk Christianity. Yeah. It, Fuck even, that Even guy. the way he says chicks and dudes. Chickified. Is really demeaning. These dudes would get in a fight. They'd punch someone in the face. They're heterosexual, God forbid. They'd be anything other than heterosexual men. The freedom at which he assumes so many things about the writers of scripture is appalling. Hey, <laughs> right. pun, appalling. Paul, yeah, ooh, ooh, good. Like appalling. Yeah, maybe I'm literate to literacy after all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you sent me that clip. <laughs> and what sucks is that, like, I I know that from somewhere. Sure. Like we went through that curriculum, maybe and admittedly, once. it's probably like over a decade old. But but oh yeah, his mindset probably hasn't it's, changed. No, a lot. it is still the same. Yeah. It is. But for a person who doesn't like to be feminine, he definitely knows his color palette. I know he paid attention. Fuchsia, yeah. see from green. Yeah, dude. And I mean, they they two don't go together, but they definitely no, go on their own he, palettes. He's getting there. <laughs> queer eye can help him get there. <laughs> listen, we'll, we'll help him, dude. JBN will queer eye episode with Mark Driscoll. Oh my god, a Mark Driscoll queer eye episode would be one for the ages. It would break. Not only the internet, but also solve Corona. And 
That's what we need. And it would hopefully break Mark Driscoll, which is really what what this country needs. Dude, Jonathan Van Ness walking into Mark Driscoll. Please. Okay, I would like to let this. Having Jonathan Van Ness like arrange Mark Driscoll's chest hair. Let the the record show that the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast were the ones to incept the idea of having a queer episode. I'm putting it out there. I think it's going to happen. So it's insane. It's insane. And I think what it does is it it kind of shames um, men into mm-hmm. feeling like a true man is someone who watches football. And a that true was, man. yeah, the, the real men are at home watching football. Right. Oh, buying real estate, of course. They're buying- what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know anyone who's buying real estate, yeah, actually. He, yeah, <laughs> We're millennials. No one buys real no, estate. No, no one can afford avocados. No, we can't spell real estate. <laughs> no, it, it, and, and it also, it really... Um, it really clarifies the people that he wants in his church, but it also pushes out all the women. Yeah. Because when right. you're saying men should do this, you're inevitably giving the rest of that stuff to, well, it's implied that the women need to do these things. And to me, it's just, I don't know. It's much like a lot of the issues I have when people kind of just dump on this deconstruction or this podcast project. It's very dismissive. You can't get up on a Sunday morning and attempt to uh, hurdle over the nuances of a scripture and then go to address an entire 50% of the planet and just be super fucking dismissive of all the in-betweens and the gray areas and the the men who write these songs. Yeah, Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, there's so much there that is like infuriating that I don't even know where to even pick apart the, the puzzle. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, and I think, too, what happens is that when you... Because what he's doing is he's trying to make room at the table mm-hmm. for men who don't feel represented. And so okay. I understand... I'm trying to be consciously understanding of where he's coming from. So I think what he was doing was going, hey, we're missing somebody at the table. Mm-hmm. And I think what in, in his attempt to, to add a couple chairs... He decided to knock off all the plates, yeah. replace the table with a table made of one log, mm-hmm. and then only let the men sit at the table. You know, and then what you do is that you are indicating, you are implying that women who uh, appreciate a mode of language, men who appreciate a mode of language, people who appreciate a, some sort of particular aesthetic, that that's not really what the or Bible is. Or even women like. who want to climb mountains and women that's who it. want to that's do real estate right. or shoot guns. Of course, right? It's, it's it's implying that there aren't women that are doing that yeah. already, right? There, and there haven't been women doing that for years. Um, and it, and and I think you said this last week mm-hmm. about churches that are extroverted. That if you yeah. hyperemphasize extroverts, then the only church that's will all have attract. will, will mm-hmm. all you attract is this one particular type of person. And I think what Driscoll kind of spearheaded was this sort of hypermasculine, red blooded steak in the milk American Christian that the church was comprised of these bearded flannel guys. And as a guy who has a beard and occasionally wears flannel, mm-hmm. I was part of that. Yeah. Like I was in it. Um, what was, what drew you to this sort of biblical man? So narrative? it was kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of weird because I inhabited the world of, Worship music, which at that time, like we said before, was very emotive and um, was kind of exploring just new ways of describing the feelings we got from God. And at the same time, I was also riding the Reformed wave. And, I mean, the people around me, you and a couple of our friends at the time, were were into it. I do 
what I haven't lost is my just enjoyment of understanding. I'm very curious about stuff and <clears throat> to my own detriment, I get too much into things just because I want to know the ins and outs. So I really enjoyed this kind of new look at things that I've just been looking at forever um, and through the reformed lens. And that's what kind of drew me to it. I mean, and then I can drink and smoke too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but it felt nice to have like definitive answers and to know once again, through the reform lens, if free will existed, mm. learn what the tulip is. It's kind of like, um, like someone invites you to their house and then you're like, well, now you gotta take off your shoes. And here and in my house, we don't have, uh, couches. You got to sit on the floor Indian style. And like, so once you come in the house and learning all these other rules, I'm like, well, I'm in the house. I guess I have to do these things. Um, but in asking the question to you why he was doing that, I was actually thinking, why did we do that? Yeah. Why did we try to attract men when we were doing the church plant stuff? And because they weren't there, and we were kind of on that stat train of if we get the man, the manly man, then the family will come. Right. But in looking back, we used to do this thing, to be more clear, we used to do this thing on Monday nights, I think. And we watch a game at someone's house, a football game. One of our uh, people at the church had a really nice backyard with a grill. We grill out stuff. And one of our buddies was a barber and he'd come like give really cheap haircuts. And we ended up having a good group of guys come out there. They never came to Sunday morning, which to us is like, oh, whatever. But I really enjoyed those times because we're just hanging out with people. The game, who could give a shit? But I do, I do remember why we did that. It was specifically to attract that type of man because yeah. we wanted that type of man in church to help lead the church. Right. It's a, it's very much the Jesus juke. Hey, come here. Hey, come to our church. Right. And, no, the man, bait he, and switch. Yes. So kind of feeling really convicted about that because that's... that's <laughs> well, no, we were part of the system. Yeah, we didn't we produce a, a video <laughs> like that where he was so mean. Sure. But uh, we definitely had made places for men to meet and then kind of let the women yeah. to do their own thing. Sure. Even when the women came and said, hey, we don't have anything for us, right. the response from our pastors just followed was, the hey, just make your own thing. Right. And then when they did do it, then they got shit on because it wasn't doing it correctly. I think, too, is like we were we, we bought into two big lies when we were church planters. One is that we have to save souls, mm-hmm. and therefore— the butts, the number of butts in the seats is directly proportionate to how successful your church is. Yeah. Right. And so when you see a church that's not growing, you go, what do we got to do to get the numbers up? Right. Because who are we missing at the table? Who are we missing like at the table? Said. Right. And so we go, how do we get the numbers up? Well, we don't, we get more humans in the, in the, in the seats by bringing in a man and his family. And then, uh, that was directly tied to the idea that the more men you have in a church, the more it feels led, mm-hmm. which is in and of itself an entirely patriarchal idea that, which is hilarious because I was listening to another podcast. That's all I listen to these days. That's like there's incredible multiple gospel narratives of women who held leadership in the church. And, and one would argue, I believe, that it's an argument for women pastorship. But it Actually, only gets mentioned on Mother's Day right. or maybe International Women's Day if your church even celebrates that. So it's funny you say that. So there's actually a um, one of the bad apples, a friend on Instagram. Her name, her Instagram handle is Callie Beret. And she posted something, and she said, I read somewhere about the perspective and percentage of women's voice as it appears in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I did some research here, and I found that there was somebody that basically painstakingly went through to determine the number of women in the Bible, Mm -hmm. the number of women that were named in the Bible, and the percentage that they actually spoke. And so in brief, basically they found out there were 93 women 
in the Bible, out of every single character in the Bible, of them, less than half or about half of those women actually were given a name, which is very indicative of the role mm-hmm. that they played in society. Yeah. Like they weren't even worthy of having a name. They were just woman, Samaritan woman, Phoenician woman, or whatever. And then within that, they only speak 1.1% of the time. Wow. So their perspective and the words that were uttered by women is only represented less than 2%, barely more than 1% in the entire scriptures. So if you're only going by the numbers, you cannot be surprised why European Anglo men took this. Yeah. In addition, took this uh, uh, book that is coming from a patriarchal backdrop and then translated that into their own Christian culture and go, well, clearly women should not be speaking. Women need to sit under the headship. And because, and I'm trying to think of why that is, um, because I think because the Bible was filtered by men. King James was King James, not King Jamie. Not Queen Queen James. Yeah, (laughs) Queen James. When they they made the specific version, it was councils of men. Mm-hmm. Which is good because they were able to, I guess, somewhat find the similarities between scriptures and line them up, whatever. And we have a Bible, and it got us this far to this podcast. Um, but yeah, I can't help but think that men put it together. So, I mean, if I do something, it's going to have my fingerprint on it because it's me. Yeah. Um, but what is really, really, really encouraging is seeing... Uh, Jen Hatmaker is a really good example, and there's a there's a bunch of other uh, of them, um, specifically on Twitter that I just watch. Reverend they're, Jess Cat, yeah, Cat Armis, um, Joe, I can't Lorman, yeah, Lorman, like yeah. that. Um, there's so many women out there just Caitlin Curtis, yeah, speaking, people. yeah, their honest truth, um, whether they're in the church or not in the church, and what's really crazy, and it, to me, it speaks to the human spirit, right? Is that you can just really put your thumb down on a people or a type of person or a group of people, but someday there will be the light at the end of the tunnel. They will stand on the backs of the people who led them there um, and they will gain the rights that they deserve. And these women who want to be a part of the church, I really aren't, if if the church isn't giving them a platform, they're taking it themselves and they're finding their own voice in doing that. And to me, it's allowing this perspective that is not really shown in the scriptures to see how a woman walks into a church and feels, um, to have these conversations with my wife. And how did she feel when I was a pastor? How did she feel about the being a pastor's wife? Um, and because we're both men and not having much experience in that, in that living in, in, in those shoes, being able to see things from that perspective, um, it, it's just so mind-blowing me. Once again, going back to what I said before, is if Jesus is the one you worship, but you don't act like it. I think you said it or someone else said it. Um, the, the church says they worship Jesus, but actually they worship Paul. They sing mm-hmm. about Jesus, right. but they worship Paul. And that's specifically uh. speaking to the way Paul said women should fall under the headship of the man. And some people theorize that the books that give more credence to women and have less rules on women were actually written either by Paul or closer to Paul's being alive. And the books that came afterwards that say women should wear headdresses and da 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 
were written further and further and further away from him being alive. Oh, interesting. Because as time went on, he became men, like this sort of like men, hero. Well, uh, m- well, men realized that they needed to take the power back. Oh, wow. Because the the message of Jesus, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, is so radical that m- majority of other religions recognize him. Mm. And just for all the reasons that you know, and all the felt board Sunday school things you learned, that he. He he was an equal opportunity lover, and uh, and the first person to saw his to see his risen body was a woman. The first person to experience the miracle of the resurrection, whether you believe it or not, I mean that's that's important. Yeah, um, there's a yeah. there's a like this classic apologetic idea, this argument of what is versus what ought. Mm-hmm. If you're reading the scriptures, and so the argument is like this is the way the Bible is, but this is the way it ought to be. Uh, or I should say, really, this is the way the Bible was, but this is not the way it ought to be. Mm-hmm. And so the, uh, I was listening to a You Have Permission podcast, and, and Dan Koch Dan Coke was talking with his guest about patriarchy, and he said, do you believe that the Bible sanctions a better version of patriarchy that we have just distorted, or do you believe that patriarchy itself is the problem Mm. and the person he interviewed had a really interesting perspective and what she said was that if you look at the way the world was before the fall which is this metaphor of how we turned from our true god nature Mm -hmm. she said if you look at the way the relationship was between man and woman before the fall patriarchy didn't exist yeah and then it wasn't until after the fall that all this patriarchy got introduced. And so her argument, and I, I agree, is that patriarchy as a structure and a system was not God's intention. Um, there is, she talked about uh, this, the word for a woman, gosh, I didn't look it up, is azer, I believe. And it literally somehow was translated to helper. And then we took it to mean like helpmate, mm. which is code for like the sidecar on a motorcycle. Yeah. Like you're my you're my Robin to my mm-hmm. Batman. But it was only used a certain number of other times in the Bible, and she did a much better job. And we'll drop the link in the show notes. But basically, she said that word was used to describe when nations came to ally with other nations as partners in war, and when God came to rescue His people. And if you change the perspective and the lens that you look at women to go, hey, women aren't just here to massage your vanity. They're not here to fix you a meal and like give you a blowy at the Mm -hmm. end of a rough day, you know, bringing home the bacon. But truly, you are, if you still subscribe to this sort of man woman marriage construct, which we can talk about that in another episode. But if you look at it that way, a woman and a man are completely partners and a woman is your ally in whatever battle you face or whatever struggle you face and i just think we lost that somewhere along the way hi becky here i'm 36 years old i live in greenville south carolina um i grew up in the church of christ i had what i would say is a pretty typical experience of being constantly body shamed criticized and harassed mostly by women starting from about age 11 to 12 on. I developed a lot of defense mechanisms to deal with that. Um, People I work with sometimes call me a badass. And it's, it's strange to me because this is mostly something I did to protect myself. What lies behind that mechanism is the reality that I still have panic attacks and anxiety around church settings and, you know, church people. I go through cycles of leaning in and pulling away. I'm not sure when that's ever really going to improve. 
I actually see a secular counselor to explore the trauma piece of that because honestly, most of the people doing the counseling participated in that when I was younger. I always say belief in God was never the issue. It's believing people that I just can't seem to do. Hi, my name is Tyler. Um, I live in a little town called New Bloomfield, just northwest of Harrisburg in Pennsylvania. So the gender roles in my church were very uh, heavily conservative, um, almost cultish. You had the men who were the umbrellas of authority for the family. The women were umbrellas under that for the children. And the only way to get out from that was essentially marriage to become your own umbrella. As a man, as a woman, you always had to have your headship. And that has been a long time haunting me, going through a divorce now. And I think that in a lot of ways contributed to that. I am Karana and I am from Waco, Texas. The church essentially taught me that my primary role as a woman was to serve. And that means serve in basically every capacity. Self-sacrifice was like the ultimate ideal. I feel like that I was taught about being a woman is that, um, you know, it's the most beautiful, most amazing thing if I can just sacrifice myself in every area, sacrifice my needs and my wants, my opinions, my views, my thoughts, and just always put others before me. And so that looked like in the church always doing what anyone needed me to do and it didn't matter if I didn't want to do it, doing it anyways. That looked like making sure that I was always covering my body so that I wouldn't cause men to stumble because they're you know, lust and their thoughts were my utmost responsibility. It was my responsibility and my job to make sure that I didn't cause a man to stumble or to lust after my body. Um, that I was supposed to like sacrifice my, you know, clothing choices, sacrifice my opinions of my body, sacrifice, you know, my freedom with my body for the sake of men. These messages and these teachings really devastated me. It caused me to repress myself. It caused me to bottle up my emotions and my feelings about things. It caused me to be completely out of touch with myself and caused a lot of shame. My name is Leah and I grew up in East Tennessee. For me personally, Proverbs 31, women's sermons, and the overwhelming amount of times I heard a pastor speak on gender roles in the home, the man being the protector and provider, and the woman being the homemaker and caregiver, it was limiting. I watched my mom as a young girl too, seeing her give and give. She kept the cleanest house. I never once didn't have a clean towel or clean bed sheets or dirty clothes. This was the expectation. It was a lot to live up to. I grew up with my dad being a worship pastor for the first 25 years of my life and my mom was an assistant teacher at an elementary school and the church pianist. It was incredibly difficult the first year of my marriage. My husband, who was also a pastor's kid, and I trying to navigate this new life together and trying to dissect and reevaluate these core beliefs we had about our roles in our home. There was an absolute struggle between us to this ideology that he is the head and I am a hand, a support to him instead of an equal partnership between both of us. 
fast forward two years and we have our first kid. He's working two jobs, one full-time, one part-time, and going to college for his undergraduate, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm not sure if the struggle was more internal, this expectation I set upon myself and the expectation he placed on himself, or if it was the weight I felt from the expectation put on us by our religion. We now have two kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. We've been married for six years, and that struggle still occurs at times. We've had to dissect a lot and really figure out what we truly believe and why we believe it. I wouldn't want to partner with anyone else through it, though. We're growing together. Yeah, there was an, another podcast I listened to. I think it was the, the liturgist podcast on man, hmm. talking about when patriarchy worked. It's like back in the medieval times, you didn't really want the women going out and hunting or being a part of city life because it's dirty and disgusting and the women need to be home to be safe because hmm. you want to carry on your name. It was like a biological evolutionary yeah, thing. Like, sure. like there was a point where like it, it served a purpose, but even at that time it was a, it was a co relationship. Like you're both equal earners in this family. It's not like a parasitic relationship where the wife is just hanging on. Right. That one weird fish you see on another big fish. <laughs> just like, just yeah. kind of doing its thing. <laughs> right. But yeah, to me, and then like you said this really well because, and you, it was a quote from Richard Rohr, but you reform and you transcend, right? Is that what the quote is? You, um, I got it wrong. Include though. and transcend. Yeah. So we can include that in our history. We can see the good in it and we can and we are living the bad of it but society and culture has transcended the i'm not going to give it all the credit there's still a lot of shit to work through in just the meta narrative of gender roles in society but the church has to me at least very little desire to transcend and i can't help but think because people in power like to stay in power and the things I've heard women tweet or write about always seem so much more, oh my gosh, how did I not realize this? Yeah. Then the same book has been put out 17 times a year about how to read your Bible by some other guy again. <laughs> John MacArthur again. Yeah, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, to me, it's just like this fear of, well, we have to say it's in the, it, it's in the Bible. We have to keep doing it. That's just the way it's always been done. Like, dude, it's hmm. like it's 2020. We're not living in medieval times. We're not like I, I don't know. It's, well, it, it's it's so shocking and weird to me that it's still that big of a thing. According to a YouTube channel that we found, oh, it God. is the medieval times. So here's a little backstory. I listened to there's a podcast that you mentioned called Spike Theology, yeah, yeah. and they had an episode on Christian cringe, and they mentioned this one person, and I didn't pay much attention to it. If you want us to do listen or buy to your thing. Call it Christian cringe. You got our money and our attention. I was so I, know, I, will, I will immediately tune in. And so then I was looking for. It, it's easier for me to find um, kind of old world he man masculine Christian mm-hmm. verbiage and stuff because that's what I was indoctrinated with. Yeah. But I had no idea where to begin that's looking for on. this slew of of this quote submissive wife thing. And so while I'm doing research, I'm like, dude, I don't even know where what I have no idea what these 
these women were indoctrinated with. And so I reached out to Blair from Talk Purity to me and I said, hey, like, I feel like you would probably have some good shit yeah. for me to check out. And like within minutes, she was like, I got you. Yeah, she likes like four links. <laughs> she sent me and it was incredible. And so I say incredible and also devastating. Mm-hmm. So she sent us this YouTuber who apparently is is famous. I I guess I'm new I'm new to the progressive world, but this person has been around. Yeah. And um this YouTube channel is called The Transformed Wife. And so she had this one really controversial video. And so we're gonna play a clip from it. A little disclaimer here. It is potentially really triggering um, because it talks about the uh, the reality of marital rape. So we're gonna play it and then we're gonna try and unpack it a little bit and and, and see what we think. We live our lives by doing what's right, by obeying God, even when we don't feel like it. Yes, and that even includes sex. How, you know, how long does it take? One woman wrote me and asked me if the, her husband had raped her because she had told him she didn't want to have sex. And he, when she woke up in the middle of the night, he was having sex with her. So she wanted to know if that was marital rape. And I said, well, do you feel like you need to call the police and have them locked in jail? Because if true rape is when you're assaulted and against your will by some stranger and you, you feel like he's worthy of being put in prison, yes. No, she doesn't want to put her husband, doesn't want to call the authorities and put him in jail because he woke her up in the middle of the night and was having sex with her. In fact, my husband was telling me sometimes um, Men just, you know, in the middle of the night, there's a woman, their wife, laying next to them, and they just start wanting to have sex with them. And they, they're not, maybe, they're not completely woken up, they're not thinking straight, they just have this need to want sex, and so they start having sex with their wives. Now, at this point, the wife can either say, honey, I'm just really tired, how about in the morning? Or go along with it and have a great time. Sometimes those are the best times, you know? Often when we obey God instead of what we want, that's where we find the blessings. And so when you clean your toilet, you have the blessing of a clean toilet. (laughs) When you're not depriving your husband, you have a blessing of a husband that's very happy with you for not depriving him. Sweet mother Jesus. When she says, those are some of the best times, right? (laughs) I'm like, that seems very similar to when, like, I see something to you. Like, yeah, I mean, that's just the way you play that that G minor chord, right? <laughs> we, all, we all do that, right? Yeah. Isn't everyone doing that? It's it's internalized. It's yeah. like a Stockholm syndrome sort of yes. situation. It's like you fall in love with your kidnapper. Yes. Like, let's let the record show people that if you think that if you have to ask yourself, hey, this is not normal in not in such a way that my internal gauge makes me wonder if I'm being raped probably are. you probably are yeah like and 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 what upsets me and infuriates me like it's laughable because she's delusional but it's also heartbreaking because she's enabling abuse mm-hmm. is that she's like invoking the name of God to say we submit to God first yeah and so what she's doing is she's equating submitting to God in at submitting to her husband and the thing is that that notion is completely biblically sanctioned like if you look for it you're going to find it right yeah. submit to your husbands as un- as unto the lord right that's like that's the that's the scripture i think mm-hmm. and so so it's 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 somehow equating 
when you let your husband have sex with you, regardless of how you feel in the moment, you are somehow doing the Lord's work. I just don't even know how a woman could get to that point where they're like, well, that's the role we need to play. Mm-hmm. And in saying that, I realized I know how. Because uh, the video, she's an older woman. She's older than us. So she's been in this system longer than us. And for a long time, you and I drank the Kool-Aid of the roles we needed to, to fit. So we fit those roles. And in doing so, um, like we, we couldn't do it anymore. Like we had to leave. I don't think she has that opportunity to have enough outside voices speaking into her or have enough opportunity to see what it looks like on the other side that she just continues to buy into that role. It is like a Stockholm syndrome. And when your husband has to explain that sometimes Sometimes men just wake up next to a woman, (laughs) their wife should clarify that. And they just want to have sex. So sometimes they just have sex with them. Like, what? I would like to speak on behalf of myself and most men. Yes. We do not just do that. That's not a no. thing. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I should say it shouldn't be a thing. If it is, it's fucked. I heard something, <laughs> and the thing I mostly heard is one of my kids' doors opening and closing, and then I wake up to toys in the living room, or I'm going to the restroom. I've, <laughs> I've never woken up and go, man, I gotta fuck. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Hashtag man, I gotta fuck. I bet her husband is all of like five foot. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, but no, but and, now I'm assigning him specific <laughs> things. Yeah, great no, it's just, to me, the way she ba- she defends herself is with her husband's definition of men just waking up at whatever hour and needing to do get, something. Like, get the dick on. wet. Yeah, dude. I was thinking uh, about, you, you mentioned about we were part of a system that we bought into it. Yeah. And, um, and we kind of navigated away from it, but I want to just mention it. Sure. I was thinking about what it was about this hyper-masculine Calvinist movement mm-hmm. that attracted me. And I'm like a five, seven Asian guy. And so I have never really, no one's ever been like, Hey man, you cut down trees. Yeah. Like no one, no one has ever asked me if I was a yeah. linebacker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just don't have the build and I, I just don't really have the demeanor. And so, and, and coupled with that, my dad was like, kind of like a workaholic. And so most of my role model was always my mother. Mm-hmm. And so I have a really st- strong, uh, female, uh, role model, not without its own issues, but, but strong nonetheless. And so I had always had this weird, relationship with my own masculinity i dated this one girl who was like from north carolina and i went up to visit her family in north carolina and they all decided to go out to the backyard and shoot guns but not like a revolver like like, an ak-47 like i fired an ak into a a, a bale of hay yeah like they all had ar rifles and i was just like i was maybe 19 Mm -hmm. and so i'm like sure man i was trying to be a man and i remember being like like have you ever and this one little kid, and I'm going to give him a southern accent because he had a southern accent. He's like, hey, did you ever, you ever fired a, a, an AR? I'm like, I've never fired a gun. He goes, what? You're not a man. And he's, and, and, and everyone laughed. And they're like, yeah. oh, come on. Cut it out. But that was the reality. Mm-hmm. That was the mentality that you metabolize growing yeah. up. And, and you metabolize it as a kid to be like, hey, if you aren't acting a certain way, then you're not a man. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of went through life just going like, well, 
I can't really be like the hyper tough guy. So I'm just going to kind of sit in the role of like, like the artsy Asian guy. And so when Calvinism showed up and they're like, Hey, God sanctions what a man looks like. It was kind of a breath of fresh air for me in that moment. Cause I felt like I was able to reclaim this manhood that was God given and it wasn't given by people. And so I bought into this idea that like, yeah, being a man is more than shooting guns. What came with that is this weird, in addition to me being the man that is just in, in intrinsic to me, it also means I have to quote, lead my house in a certain way. I have to, I'm responsible for the spiritual formation of my wife and my children. And it also implies directly that Alyssa, my wife, has to be this quiet, submissive, yeah. you know, like like barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen mm-hmm. sort of woman. And so and and I and I feel so ashamed as I look back on my own time because like I was I held the title of title of pastor at a church. And so I was the one of the people who was like, hey, like we should be praying together as the man I want to try and lead you should let me lead. And I would like, in my own way, I would like kind of press this sort of hierarchical structure of going like, Hey, remember, remember we talked about like, I'm the man, so I need to try and whatever. And I cannot, I'm trying not to blame this YouTuber for why she is the way that she Mm -hmm. is, because it wouldn't have happened if there wasn't some men and likely dozens of men throughout the course of her life telling her this is the way it needs to be. Yeah. And then, eventually it gets so internalized that you agree with it and you're, and, and you're right. Okay. That's what it is. Now I can say that regardless of what you're taught, like marital rape is, is, is rape. Yes. Like that, that is a non, that's not right. Uh, that's not right. And, and it's fucked. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was just thinking about how, like the way I was kind of brought into that whole movement. And, and what's crazy to me is that like, there are some things my wife does better than me that according to, Mark Driscoll and a lot of the curriculums we sat under and the things we would talk about like that I should be doing balancing checkbooks was something that I was never good at. And my wife is really good at that stuff. And so at the beginning of our relationship, there was this heavy weight on her to, to do it. Cause I didn't know how to and guilt on me. Cause I'm the man and I should be the one doing this and it's the money and the family did it. Self-imposed guilt. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Or, and other people told me sure. that I need, that she needed to be doing some, something and I need to be doing this. And just like the Mark Driscoll thing and just like that lady, it is completely erasing away my wife's strengths mm. and, and things she's good at and saying, nope, your husband Josh needs to do it just because this book from a bajillion years ago says so. Right. And it's then doing the same thing, erasing the things I'm good at and telling them those don't fucking count. Right. Who cares about that? There's no value in that. The only value is in these qualifiers. Yeah. And however many times you can hit that goal, that means you're such and such and such. Yeah. And I don't know, man, it's, it's really disheartening just to see that one, I can realize those moments in my life when my voice was told to be quieted and I bought into it and I quieted it. And two, that I was an active participant in that later in my life. Um, 
to kind of, nah, you're not a man unless you do this yeah. or unless you shoot an AR, which is <laughs> nuts. Um, and I don't know. I was thinking about, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was thinking about that too. Cause I wanted to talk a little bit about what, how like our marriages now mm-hmm. look and whether that was something that changed or whether that's something that always yeah. happened. Um, because I, like I look at how my relationship with Alyssa is and it is not like pe- people make jokes. And, and now that I think about it, I've internalized those jokes yeah. and like that, like I'm the wife in the family and that Alyssa is like the husband in the family. How so? Why? So the argument, so the idea is that, so like Alyssa is not really a, like a cleaner. Mm-hmm. She's a germaphobe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's kind of like this is dirty it's gross but she's just not really like a like a cleaner where i was like brought up like i said i was brought up by my mom mostly and my mom was very much a cleaner growing up and so i like am really good at cleaning i've like always been pretty good at cleaning like she made Alyssa made this one joke that like the kitchen's never quite as clean as when i clean it mm-hmm. which is code for like i clean and i'll clean yeah. the bathrooms and i'll do these things um but like i also like love to be inside like I like I would prefer to be indoors mm-hmm. and like for me so cleaning if I have to choose between doing yard work or like doing the dishes or or cleaning or whatever I would gladly do that. Um, and Alyssa is like, get me outside, get me in the dirt, like, and she like let get me in the sun, like she's outside. So she like if she could be out like working in like the garden all day, like she would totally do it, right? But we have children to feed, right? Um, and so like she is incredibly better with money than I am as far as like she has a mind like an analytic mind yeah. a mind for numbers kind of i imagine similar yeah. to steph where it's like she just understands how these things work because where i'm kind of like we probably got it yep i looked at my td i think we're okay we should be all right for another month <laughs> yeah i'm an idiot and, and yeah. i'm impulsive whatever and so i and and then i couple that with the fact that i am naturally very emotional i'm naturally very sensitive mm-hmm. um and I'm very, uh, I'm a verbalizer, right? So I talk about my feelings. Yeah. I want to sit. I want to talk about my thoughts. And Alyssa is very much a doer. Yeah. So she's kind of like, like point me in the direction. Like, I don't want to have to make the decision, but I will put the steps in place to get shit done. Um, so, and if you look at the script that we were handed, and that's just what it is. It's a script. Yeah. If you look at the scripts that we were handed, it's the man's quote job to be the strong, silent, outdoor type the one who j- doesn't talk about their feelings just does things and it's the woman's job to be emotive and they want to talk and they want to connect and they want to and they're good at cleaning and all this stuff so in our family it is totally like flipped yeah um and there was a lot of weird internalized misogyny that we both had to kind of fight against our natures to be like am i okay to be doing this like mm-hmm. am i somehow you know, and I think Alyssa was probably like, am I emasculating Adrian by these things being yeah. said and these things being done? And I was kind of like, am I not a man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, admittedly, I wasn't even worrying about how she felt about it. And I should have been probably. Um, but yeah, how about you guys? Did, did anything change from what you said to how it yeah, used to be? Yeah, so I, um, sort of the same thing that would, it's funny you say, the way you were brought up, because I always preferred to be in the house with my mom doing her chores. One, because I thought they were easier. Um, <laughs> Maybe and two, it. I hated mowing the lawn. Um, but I was always told men need to be outside, women need to be inside. Um, and what's really interesting is I'm starting to see that what people say when people do are two different things. Like my grandpa on my mom's side, he was from Cuba. 
um, grew up on a farm, super just like a manly man, just a, a big dude. Um, but he was, he was super into cooking. Like my grandma never cooked. He always cooked and he would cook for his entire neighborhood. He would uh, cook for the people who couldn't get out of their house. Like he, he was an awesome guy. Um, and so I was, I'm like, that's, that's kind of cool. He does that. Um, but it's, I mean, he was so muscular and scary. I'm like, ah, he can do that. Cause he's that cool. Um, so when we had our first kid, I, uh, I'm like, I want to take a stab at this cooking thing. And like, I fell in love with it. Like I, now I have way too many kitchen gadgets and things. I, I love finding recipes and doing all this other stuff. And you were like a beast in the kitchen, by the way, I, I'm getting better. You were like, Hey guys, I figured out how to, how to double fry chicken. I'm like, yeah. what is he even doing? So uh, I'm, I'm getting better, but that comfort comfortability of talking about cooking and asking for recipes and doing research came along with this whole being just comfortable with who I am. Um, so our marriage definitely did change because there were times when we tried to force prayer time before bed. And even before we had kids, we just wanted to go to sleep, dude, or we just wanted to watch what the office or do whatever. And there was that kind of script we were handed, the guilt we were given. Hey, you have to do this. And this is what you have to look like. Um, when, like I said before, there are some things that Steph just does way better than me and me trying to do them is actually more hurtful. <laughs> um, and, so like I I um like like last year and a half two years I'm just starting to understand like like it's okay to have emotions right. and it's okay to want to express them and I'm the best at expressing them hell no right. um and it's not like a manly thing or a feminine thing it's just a Josh thing yeah um and so just communicating that to Steph talking to Steph about how I feel about things. I still do, do it in a very blurred out way and just kind of walk away from the conversation. She's like, no, we need to talk about that. I'm like I just said it. We just did talk about it. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely more, we are both, it kind of sucks that it took so long to find our groove, but at least we're doing it now because sure. we're both on the outside of this, not being at church so much and being in that bubble. We're, we're finding our groove and we're finding where we fit in the in our family. Yeah, And I'll help her out here. She'll help me out there. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I'm did you, just, go ahead. Did you ever have that sort of like, as the wife, you need to submit thing? Was that ever like, <clears throat> did you guys no. naturally? Cause like, I know for me, I can speak from experience. Like for us, like Alyssa and I naturally did not, it was like, we were told I needed the way it needed to be. Mm-hmm. But like Alyssa is not like Alyssa. Will yeah. Kick, I never verbalized that to Steph. Yeah. Um, but she did say it to me sometimes. And I know she did because she was being told the same thing. Right. And it's, it wasn't fair to her to say, hey, Josh, I think we need to do this or this because of this. Like, like it was putting unnecessary guilt on her. Yeah. And she also would and does kick my ass. Right. And so I would not, hey, you need to be in the kitchen. Step in maybe, line. Maybe. I'm like, <laughs> she loves, loves being outside in the yard, in the garden, digging up stuff with the kids and getting dirty. And um, <clears throat> that's her therapy. Sometimes she'll disappear. And I'll look in the backyard and our trash can is full of just stuff she pulled out of the ground and replanted this and goes to Home Depot and gets that. I'm like, I just figured out how to put a light switch in and not shock myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. and and also when I'm just, when I've become more comfortable with myself, I'm finding that, I mean, I, I can put up a fan or I can like install these hanging shelves, but I don't have to be super fucking burly. I can also then go 
cook a loaf of bread or sorry bake a loaf of bread and then i can do i don't know just kind of being comfortable with who i am and the things that i enjoy the things that i enjoy and then seeing how that can supplement and benefit the family i was thinking about that like we can't change where we come from we can't change what we were brought up with but the what we can try and do is go how do we build a way forward right like mm-hmm. how do we cut down the brush like we talked about yeah. it an episode or two ago how do we cut down the brush and clear yeah. a new path forward i was thinking about the way that we raise our kids yeah and how yeah. our for, for me i can speak for myself my first inclination is to be very gender specific mm-hmm. uh, we ran out of diapers and someone gifted us like a bunch of diapers that were way too big for scout she's not going to go into them mm-hmm. and they fit wilder perfectly but they're all pink with mini mouses on them and we just put them on him because we needed diapers and then i remember getting him dressed for school and i had a moment of like guilt and shame like oh no i can't send my son to school in a girl pull-up like what like and even though these kids are three dude they don't give a shit they don't care right and i honestly didn't care but i immediately was like what if my son gets humiliated what if the teachers say something? Oh, you're wearing girl. Oh, you're wearing girl. And I was like, I don't want that shit for my kid. Yeah. You know? And so I was listening to a podcast and the guest said, and I'm going to do my best to paraphrase it again, but she said that so that women um, genetically are born with larger amygdala, which drives their um, emotive receptors. So if you look at a baby girl and, I, and you have a girl and a boy the way mm-hmm. I do, and so you could probably attest to this, but when girls are born they read facial expressions by looking at your face 300 times more than a boy does. Wow. How many times have I had to say, wow, they look at me. Yep. Whereas scalp laser locked mm-hmm. from the moment she was born. And so women are constantly trained to look at you and to, to read the room and to read how everyone else is uh, uh, interacting. And then if you couple that with a church culture that teaches women that they are last, mm. then they grow up to only look out and never grow up to look in. They never grow up to focus on their voice, to focus on their needs, focus on their wants. And if you flip the script, boys are brought up with larger amygdalas. Uh, So hippocampus for the women, amygdala. You said said amygdala the first time. So it's hippocampus for the girl, amygdala for the boy. And amygdala is raised for boys with aggression. Um, And so they are brought up to be assertive, to be dominating, and to win and fight. And the thing what they realize is that if you couple that with the Christian subculture, you're taught that you have to win. And what that does is your winning comes at the expense of your relationships. Mm. And so what they found is that these men who have spent their whole life winning, when they wake up in their late years, they are on their second marriage and they've climbed the ladder at their job and the, and they climbed the ladder, but it was on the wrong wall the whole time. Yeah. And so they said what we can do moving forward is we can teach our girls who have this natural inclination to read the room to go, what do you want? What do you want to do right now? How do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. And then conversely, our boys who our first inclination is how do I get it? How do I want it? We can teach them to go, hey, what does your sister want right now? How do you think she feels about this? How do you think your friend feels about this? And the idea is that we are somehow trying to kind of juke the system to go maybe by the time they reach puberty and they reach the age of latency where they don't just look to their parents, they kind of make up their own decisions. Maybe then we can prop them up and set them up for a more egalitarian way of life. I mean, yeah, that's the idealistic way to look at it, like the the hope. And yeah, and just doing the the research for this, if you can call watching a bunch of YouTube's research, (laughs) um, it definitely has 
just shown more light on how I react or interact with my kids. Um, because the way they are now, just like with all the things that they do that, <clears throat> that aggravate Steph and I, the things that they shouldn't do, like run out in the street, I mean, they're great. And they're funny and they have personalities that it's just them. No, my wife and I did not go into their bedroom every night and like whisper, you should be like this. No, they just are born into this person. And um, like my son is overly caring about everyone all the time. Um, is like the most encouraging. Uh, always is like, oh, I love your shirt. I love you. You're great. You're a great driver. Like even to his grandparents or to anyone, to your kids. And they come over, oh, wow, they're a good job. Or scout. Like even if the person is not even in earshot, like he lets them know. Yeah. And my daughter, super observant. Um like loves taking care of Noah, the, her brother, um, loves being bossy, loves just being in control and helping other. Like it's just it's just really cute to watch them develop these own things. Yeah. And thinking back to how I was raised and how, like the things that I was, um, what's the word, like the kind of defaulted to, like my own personality traits, and kind of now going like looking at my kids and go, wow, they were born with this that characteristic trait, character traits that no one gave them. I wonder if I go back, like what, what have I silenced enough? Yeah. Not to push it back on myself so much, but like what have we silenced that we've forgotten we used to be like? Mm. And I feel like this freedom as a deconstruction or this excavation or just kind of looking back has given me, wow, I'm like really uncovering some things and some things that I miss about myself. Um, being more, exp- like being more expressive. Cause I do remember a time when I was like that. And I don't know, I'm sure it'll come up in some nightmare. I'll wake up in a cold sweat. I don't know when that switch was turned on me when I just stopped emoting so much. Um, But I definitely remember being like that. And I don't want my kids to go through that. My kids can deal with their own shit (laughs) when they get there to our age. But yeah, my kids are great the way they are. And I would love for them to grow up with an equal respect for everyone. And then that's kind of what we we're already getting the questions like, why does this happen? Or who is this? Or why do they look like that? And, um, my wife and I have like been pretty, uh, consistent on just saying, well, that's because this person is from here. They're from Africa or they're from Haiti or they're from Cuba and they speak like this. And this is how your mom's, uh, your grandma speaks and how your great grandma used to speak. And, but what's the most important thing? And we just get them to repeat this. It's like God loves them and God made them. Mm. And it's funny <laughs> seeing them just attribute, like uh, we went to a car wash today and my son told my daughter that God made the car wash. I'm like, <laughs> oh, he, <laughs> I mean, yeah, sort sure. of. But uh, if you, if I can somehow just keep that awe and wonder yeah. in, in, in their perspective, I'm sure it'll get destroyed by someone else. But if the house can be a haven for that, and just a place where, hey, yeah, everyone is is great. Everyone is loved. I mean, don't talk to strangers, but like, like make friends with everyone. Sure. Um, and be comfortable with who you are, because I definitely don't want our kids to be talking about gender roles or how mislabeled gender roles were, or mishandled gender roles were when they're our age, because we would have failed drastically, drastically. I love that you mentioned that story about how you're teaching them about how. God loves them despite and in, with because of the, those differences. Yeah. I was thinking about one of the ways that I'm sure that patriarchy was 
kind of propagated was the biblical understanding that God is a man. Mm, and yeah, like, yeah, if, I mean, the yeah. creator of all decided to reveal himself as a dude, yeah. as a guy with a penis. Right. And therefore man was made in God's image. Woman clearly wasn't right. And so even to date and, I don't think I've done it intentionally, but I was listening to our episodes and I, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't really like using God with like a he pronoun, like mm-hmm. a masculine pronoun. I never really, I just kind of stopped doing it. And I, and I, I think that's tied to it is because there's a lot of weird hyper-masculine baggage that's tied to it. Yeah. Um, and bad theology kills. Kevin refers to God as they, them. And that's pretty beautiful. Um, I've also heard God referred to as her. And I think the point is it doesn't matter, right? Like Barry Taylor um, was quoted as saying, God is the blanket that we put over the mystery to give it shape. Mm -hmm. So truly God is not gendered. Um, And I think that can probably help some of the ways that I um, metabolize my relationship with gender Mm -hmm. roles, like quote biblical gender roles. And then when I talk to my kids about, God, it doesn't have to be this God is a man. See, clearly the best thing is met as a man. Yeah. Um, and I think too, is when you look at God only in a masculine sense, you are robbing yourself of this whole facet of God that is so beautifully represented in, in, in a woman. Um, and I will, we'll dig this into this more. I'm sure like come like, I don't know, later on in a future episode, because I do want to unpack the, like, the divine feminine and God as yeah, a woman and all that, that stuff. I need to do more research. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it's just, yeah, I think, what's that poem that you... Yeah, uh, uh, God, Our Mother. Yeah, that to me was, the, and I sent it to my wife, to Steph, that to me was the first time I've heard God referred to as a mother. And then seeing the truth and the beauty in all the traits of a mother found in God and then seeing that as a more complete picture. Um, yeah, it's just, as with most things we talk about in here, this is only the surface. And if nothing else, it's been really helpful for myself. And I know for you as well, just us uncovering things that we have not dealt with, I think specifically (laughs) that we are now realizing, um, and it's really, I don't know, man, it's, it, like, I can get into this, this mental thing where I'm just thinking about stuff that I kind of repressed or experiences that shape me now. But when, when I come out of that, when I'm present back in today, I'm like, damn, I'm at a much better place now to handle that yeah. um, than I was before. So if nothing else, I am grateful that I am in the mindset I am now to handle that stuff. Because, I mean as obvious it's obvious because we didn't handle it back then because we couldn't because we were doing 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 and pretending to be people we weren't right um you were forced into roles you didn't want to be in right in the church plan and that, that it's i don't know there's so many examples of it but yeah i'm just really really grateful to be where i'm at and, and, and i think where we're both at i agree and i think that this is going to be an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. i would love to i think we need to get another mic. We should get Alyssa a mic on a mic and Steph on a mic. And if, let's just if see that how happens, that, that circus goes. We're just going to press record and walk away. <laughs> well, they have more stuff to say than we do. <laughs> they have more yeah. opinions and they have better things to say. They're also smarter Josh than we des- are. Josh definitely doesn't get up in the middle of the night and take advantage of me. <laughs> For the that record, he does motherfucker and his farts. Like, oh, great. Cool. That's In his own <laughs> way, I'm being attacked <laughs> by his farts. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Yeah, that definitely needs to happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, man. So, you know what? This has been a good conversation. Yes. This is, I feel like, again, we definitely haven't unpacked it to its full extent, but this is probably a good place to stop on this particular topic. the beginning of something. Beginning of something, I agree. So I think, you know, now is probably as good a time as any to go to our next segment, Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, Smoke, Sip, Smoke, Read. So you know we read that shit. That shit. Gender roles, yeah. <laughs> Delicious. So I'll ask you the question. What you been sipping, smoking, reading? What you're getting into? So I'll tell you right last. now, I uh, am currently drinking a beef eater gin nice. with a ginger ale. So I'm nice. doing a gin gin. Nice. Um, and that's been great. Took the edge off after yeah. a day. Um, so last weekend, we w- took a trip to yeah. Civil Society Brewing, which is a brewery in West Palm Beach. Shout out to Danny Brunges, Danny who Brunges turned us turn, on to it, and we didn't invite it. him to. So, yeah. <laughs> he actually messaged me. He's like, <laughs> he's like, this better not be your birthday. He's like, uh, thanks for the invite, <laughs> dude. I'm like, ignore. <laughs> uh, no, so oh, I great. went and I had like an entire flight of pretty much every IPA they had. Mm-hmm. And historically I've never been an IPA guy. Don't like them. And I told that to Danny and I, I remember telling Danny that he goes, Hey, do you guys like IPA? And I was like, not really. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so he, he, he kind of told me about how like IPA when done well can be not bitter at all. Incredibly juicy kind of inherently with some inherent sweetness. And he talked about how like the look of it can kind of look like, unfiltered orange juice yeah, or unfiltered great. apple juice and i'm like dang that's crazy and i just didn't have any idea i had no idea and so we went and i got uh some cans of uh like a surfside ipa and it's fucking good um other than that pretty much just listening to a ton of podcasts for this episode i dig a podcast called how did this get made? You turn me on to it. Yes, sir. They did a Space Jam episode. Did you listen to it? No. It's incredible because they had never seen Space Jam because it was before their time. Oh, wow. And okay. so the premise of folks who don't know, uh, how did this get made? They basically watch an obscure film that either they have not seen before or a film that is famous for being a cult classic. And then they pretty much just tear it apart mm-hmm. because it's usually really bad in yeah. a lot of ways. Anyway, they did Space Jam live in michael jordan's um homes state or like the chicago bulls state yeah so it was great that's great that's really funny um i think that is oh uh yesterday my in-laws threw me a dinner i had a huge ribeye steak which i only get a huge ribeye steak every so often and i will eat i could eat a steak every single day yeah uh and then they got me there's this really good vegan bakery called parlor down here in south florida and they picked me up a bunch of cupcakes and it was Mwah, bellissima. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. It. Yeah. How about you? Um, yeah. So we went the kind of piggyback off of you. Civil society was great. Um, my dad had wanted to go up there. I took him up there, and he wanted to just take a group of us. So we all went. It was fun. Uh, I told Adrian <laughs> that it felt like we were about to announce the beginning of our new church plant. <laughs> this kind of kind of same. Like spot. We were all sitting around together, <laughs> sitting in a circle. Um, but yeah, we all got tipsy enough to take stupid pictures on the train tracks which it's is called fun. the dirty rotten church yeah yeah that's <laughs> please don't make that happen that, god yeah. please that's a terrible idea mother god please <laughs> um 
So that was fun. And the IPA, it just unreal. Mm. They're they're they like you said, they're juicy. They're super super tasty. If any of you ever get a chance to have a Nor New England mm. IPA, it's when the hops are added at the end to make it more fruity. Um, definitely definitely do that. And if you can find Civil Society beer somewhere, I don't know if they ship out of state, uh, but they're in Jupiter in West Palm. They're really really good. Um, so funny you said how did this get made there's another podcast called how did this get played um where they play weird and wacky video games um the definitely my wheelhouse i love retro video games i love weird parts of culture that are that are kind of in the shadows and that scratches the itch but the two hosts on the show are they're so so good who are the hosts for how did this get um played? i'm i'm gonna look it up right now because you put me on the spot <laughs> How did this get played? It's Heather Ann Campbell and Nick Weiger. Oh. And they're great. They're really, really funny. Um, and their producer, Matt Apodaca, is great. But what's really insanely impressive is that every episode, their intro music is themed to the video game they play. So it's like an old Atari game, which it was. Cool. It was um, this Leisure Suit Larry, whatever fucking game. It's an old, I think, Amiga, which is an old computer. Like They made the in, their intro song in the theme of that game insanely impressive it's a really funny podcast i really enjoy that and also um one of our brothers brother oh <laughs> uh, what the fuck is a brothers uh, <laughs> i know exactly why you said yeah uh one of our friends um brandon lubin he goes under the name unknown brandon on uh spotify put out a new track i think you meant my brother no <laughs> dude you can take your racism somewhere else uh, uh what did it come out yesterday or today i think it was today yeah uh, really good. I don't think he'd mind us playing a part of it. Do you think he'd care? I'm sure he wouldn't care. Okay. Here. It's really good. They asked me. <laughs> Tell me. Mask on. Put the mask on. Uh, she about to dance until they play the last song. Uh, but first she gotta grab a purse and go to the mall. I know you had to put the work. Permission to ball. Fuck a Black Friday. This is a cash party. I could just play that whole entire track. Clean, man. He uh he is super 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 talented. Yeah, he killed it. Um, making his own like writing his own stuff, and it's really encouraging to see local artists put out stuff, and you're not ashamed to repost it because <laughs> majority of stuff we share is like, look at this look shit, at this garbage. Um, yeah, but unknown Brandon, give him a uh, listen on Spotify and Apple Music. He's everywhere, but his stuff's really good. But I'm trying to think of anything else. I'm rewatching The Office again. Love it. I, I watch. I can't eat lunch. I, I've gotten yeah. so used to watching on my lunch <laughs> yeah. breaks, but I can't eat lunch without wanting yeah. to watch The Office. And then I started rewatching because it's so easy and short. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Nice. Um, uh, it's funny because people say like that's uh, a TV show written for uh, potheads, but I laugh at it when I'm not high. <laughs> um, that means when you're stoned, you're not going to find it funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just kind of going through that. I'm not, I don't think I'm in the give me something new cycle right now. I think I'm just kind of reliving the old. My wife and I finished Righteous Gemstones, which was great on HBO. Um, there's a bunch of stuff out there. I just I, I want the comfort blanket of The Office and Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Can't beat it. I also want to throw in, uh, guys. I'm looking for like a really good high quality CBD oil. Um, so if you guys have any suggestions, could you like message me or something? Cause I'm like, or just really give curious. it to him or just, it's, you, it's my birthday. I'm turning, <laughs> I'm, I'm turning my thirties. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to gift me uh, a CBD oil, that'd be great. Oh, and, um, sip, smoke and no reading tomorrow. We're definitely going out for your birthday. Like we all took the day off work. Yeah. So we're going to be sipping and smoking and yep. doing 
So the next episode will be Snip Sip. Snip? Snip. We're all getting vasectomies tomorrow, dude. Join me. It's great on this side. You have seen the mountain and it's good. That was definitely Freudian. Uh, Snip. I didn't tell my wife, but that's actually what's happening tomorrow. birthday to me. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this episode has been really good. Do you want to talk about how people can connect? Yeah. uh, You can find us on Instagram at Dirty Rotten Church Kids. You can find us on Twitter at Dirty Rotten CK. And at our Gmail is DirtyRottenCK at Gmail as well. Um, I have no idea what's happening. Our numbers are really good and people are responding and we are making friends with other podcasters and other people. We can, um, I was thinking about this, we can officially say that we, I mean, we, we've been able to say this for months, but it just felt weird and pretentious, but yeah. it's actually a fact, is that we have listeners from all around the world. That's And, and so now incredible. when we refer to things, we have to like sometimes put disclaimers that these are American things. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's incredible. So find us, interact with us. We don't sleep much and we respond pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and if it's just sending us office memes, please. Yeah, the more office memes, the, the better. The better. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, but you can reach us at all those places. You can still hit us up on the Facebook because <laughs> apparently five more people like that Facebook <laughs> thing this week. Listen, guys, you have a small window where like you can no make this page. Page. You can I will make this give Facebook. you the login information that I somehow <laughs> you can make created. it whatever you want. This can be an essential oils pyramid scheme. It yeah, can do whatever. We should you give want. it to biblical generals. We should <laughs> let them go to town. But nah, um, fuck that guy. Yeah, man, that's where you can find us. Well, everyone, I want to thank you guys all so much for listening to this episode. Thanks for sticking and around for a long one. This is how long is this? Said. It is re- uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around for a long. That's what they said, bro. Oh shit! <laughs> Fucking Michael Scott got me again. <laughs> Michael Scott got gotcha. you. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to episode eleven of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Keep up the dirty work, and remember, it's, it's all gonna, gonna be okay. We will say this over and over again because it's true, the support you all have given us is overwhelming and truly felt. You bad apples are the realest. Not too much to pluck this week besides wash your damn hands and stay in your bubble if you're sick. We will make it through this together. If Sabre really cared about our well-being, they would set up hand desanitizing stations. 